thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for loving us, that in spite of our sin, you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who willingly laid down his life for us, so that by faith in you, we could have new life. And so, Father, as we spend a few minutes in your word, I pray that you would meet us where we are. Speak to our hearts, Father, change us so that we can understand the life that you've given to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, it's good to see everybody this morning um, on this back end Sunday of spring break. I don't know about you guys, but I am very much a routine person. And so with the kids being home, we are out of our routine. And so there were several times this week where a member of our family indicated that something was going to happen the next day, which proved to me that they didn't know what day it was. And even when I woke up this morning, as I was still laying in bed, I was thinking to myself, what day is it today? Oh yes, that's right. It is Sunday. So we have all figured out it is Sunday. And so glad that you all are here, especially those of you who are guests with us. If, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill. It's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. And if you are a guest with us, maybe first time or second, third, fifth time, um, but you're looking to get more connected in our church or just find out a little bit more about us, we are having after the service this morning what we refer to as a, because we haven't figured out a better word, a meet and greet, um, which sounds a lot more, I don't know what, it sounds different than what it actually is, but we just want to talk a little bit about the church. And so we'll do that right after the service this morning, right up here in the front to my left, your right. Um, and, and, and so it'll just be, you know, five, 10 minutes after the service this morning. So if you uh, want to find out more about us, we'd love for you to hang out with us. You know, the other thing is Easter is now only a couple of weeks away. Um, and so as you think about your Easter plans, there are a couple of things that we would like for you to do for us and so one is we are looking for people to serve with the expectation that we'll have a, a lot of new folks with us on Easter Sunday. Uh, we need people to serve in our guest services. We could use um, some folks to help us out in our kids area as well. And so if you are willing to serve with us, especially serving on Easter Sunday, um, we want you to sign up. There's a bunch of QR codes at the um, at the walls out there in the lobby. So let us know that you're interested in helping out with that. The other thing, just for our planning purposes, to figure out who is attending what service and kind of spread out attendance a little bit, we've got three services this year on Easter Sunday. And so we'd like for you to let us know which service you're planning to attend. And be sure that you're paying attention to those times because if you just show up at the normal time that you attend service in this service, you guys at nine o'clock, you will be late. Um, because our services are a little bit different. So we've got 8 o'clock, uh, 9.15, and 10.45 um, on Easter Sunday to fit all three of those services in. So um, if you could let us know when you're planning to come, that would be really helpful. Um, so lots of stuff happening in the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking more about our plans for Easter and all that. we got some special things that are happening, so we'll let you know about that um, over the next couple of weeks as we get all that stuff rolled out. You know, I, I'm sure that I'm not the first that has ever made this observation, but I think that we can, as we seek to make sense out of our lives, we often read other people's stories into our stories. And what I mean by that is that when we 
see someone who has a certain experience, if we find ourselves in a similar situation, we think that what happens to them is likely going to happen to us too. We can do it for other people sometimes. I think we often do it to ourselves. But let me give you a couple of examples of things that I'm talking about. So two brothers in a family. The older brother is a star athlete. So he's the quarterback on the football team, the shortstop on the baseball team, point guard on the basketball team, all everything. How often do coaches, other people, maybe even sometimes parents, just assume that younger brother is going to follow in the same shoes of the older brother? Sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And so again, I think we can do this for other people. We often do this for ourselves. I'll give you a couple examples of times that I have done this in my own life. Because maybe what you could do is read other people's stories into decision-making events in your life. Maybe it was, you know, for some of us about when, where, or how you were going to meet your spouse. And when I was in high school, I was very close to our student pastor, our youth pastor, And so I knew some of his story. I knew that he met his wife when they were in college, and they got married just before his last year of college. And so the last year uh, that he was in college, they were married. I also had another friend that I grew up with. He was a couple years older than I was. And now he knew his wife in high school. They met in high school, and they dated through high school, but they also got married while they were in college and finished up the last year of college as a married couple. And so long before I ever went to college while I was still in high school, I just assumed because these two people who I knew were close to me, I assumed that the same thing would happen to me. When I was in seminary, I, we had a special guest come in and, and, and talk to us one day in class. I don't even remember who it was at this point, but I remember him saying, I've never had to look for a job. That just people or churches just sought him out and offered him different positions throughout his life. And I thought, man, that's the greatest thing ever. I want that to be a part of my story too, where I don't ever have to look for a job. People are just like knocking down my door to get me to do something. So I wanted that to be a part of my story, probably because that would make life a whole lot easier than actually going out to look for a job and things like that, right? So sometimes with decision-making things, we look at other people's stories and we hope that that same thing happens to us. We can also do it in our relationship with God. So when we hear a compelling story about what God has done in someone's life, we just assume that that same thing can happen to us. Or we see the way that God works in somebody's life. We either believe or assume that God is going to do the exact same thing for us if we find ourselves in a similar situation. And so if you hear a story where maybe God has brought healing in a person's life and then the same thing, you find yourself in a similar situation, the expectation is that God will do the same thing for you. Or you've heard a story about somebody losing their job and then God providing just the right thing at the right time and so you find yourself in a similar situation and expect God to do the same thing for you. Or you hear about strain in relationships and then God bringing reconciliation. And so when you find yourself in a similar situation, you expect God to do the exact same thing for you. And when God doesn't do exactly what you think he is supposed to do because of what he did for somebody else, it can often create a crisis of faith. Where we think, well, what's wrong with God, maybe? More often, what's wrong with me? And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. 
because God didn't quite meet your expectations or you began to read somebody else's story and their experience into your story and it didn't quite work out that way and you're not really sure what's happening. I want to just encourage you this morning. The older that I get, which I don't feel like I'm that old, but did have a birthday this last week and so reminded of how old I am. The more stories that I hear, the more life experience that I gain, the more I realize that our stories are unique. And so I want to encourage you by saying this. Your story is your story. Live your story courageously. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Uh, or if you are a version Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. But what we're going to do this morning in this passage, we're going to see two different stories. It's interesting because the author of Luke's gospel, or the author of this gospel, which is Luke, he puts these two stories together. They're very different stories, but he puts them together, I think, in order to highlight the differences. And so here's what we're going to see. One story is about a man. The other story is about a woman. One story is about someone who is rich. The other is a story about someone who was poor. One story describes the potential loss of a servant. The other describes the loss of a son. But in both stories, the people's lives are changed by Jesus. And that's the thing that's important. And that's what I want to show you this morning. So I'm going to read this section. It's a little bit longer, but I think getting the entirety of both of these stories is really helpful. And then we'll go back and break them down. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the gospel, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick to the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about this, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, do, I did not presume to come to you, but say, to, say the word and let your servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and the other, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Story number one. Now story number two. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. 
Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Two stories, two very different stories, but two stories of people whose lives had been touched by Jesus. Let's start by talking a little bit about the story of the centurion. So a centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. So a hundred other Roman soldiers were underneath of his authority and leadership. Uh, to be a centurion, you didn't necessarily have to be Roman or from Rome, but most likely you were a Roman citizen and certainly not Jewish. And so it's really important for us to understand that this man was an outsider in the world, the religious world that Jesus lived in. The other thing that's really interesting about being a Roman centurion is that it was not a position that you earned as a result of being a good soldier. It wasn't you got promoted into this. You actually bought your way into this because you were wealthy. And so that tells us a little bit about this centurion. And it's interesting, too, that we read in what is reported to Jesus by the elders of the town that this Roman centurion had an affinity for Israel for some reason. We don't really exactly know why, but we know that he was... It says that he built the synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And so what that really means is he was the one who funded the project. He was the benefactor. Not really sure exactly why. It could have been it was for political reasons. He just wanted the support of the people for some reason. Uh, it could also have been that he was what is referred to as a God-fearer. And so a God-fearer was a person who believed in the God of the Jews, but yet he hadn't converted fully because there were some ceremonial hoops that he had to jump through and things like that, and so he hadn't done that. So we're not really sure, but what we do find is that he had a problem. One of his servants was sick, sick to the point of death. So this servant was dying. And based on the, the language that's used, it's very clear that the centurion was very close to the servant. Maybe he viewed him as like a son. He was a member of the family, and so he wanted to do something to help. He, would, he was willing to do anything if he could to help his servant. And so the centurion had heard about Jesus, heard about the miracles of Jesus. And so he knew that Jesus had the authority and the power to help. And so it says that the centurion went to the elders of the town. So he went to the Jewish people who lived in the city of Capernaum and sent them to go get Jesus. So they went and they found him and they said, Jesus, hey, there's this guy. He's a centurion. But listen, he's, he's, he has an affinity toward Israel. He loves the nation. He, he is somebody who is worthy of you doing something for him. He wants you to come and heal his servant. And so Jesus went with them towards the house of this centurion. It's interesting that it said that before they got to the house that the centurion sent his, his other servants out to meet Jesus. But then it's interesting that it's very much first person from the perspective of the centurion. And so it's in the words of the centurion says, you don't even need to come to the house because I know the power, the, the authority that you have. And all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And then in response to hearing that, Jesus said, even in Israel, I have not found that much faith. And so I think about the story of the centurion. 
And what we see is that in, it, he is an outsider who is an example of what it means to exercise faith. And I also think about what attracted him to Jesus. What was it about Jesus that he said, man, that's somebody who can help me in this situation. What attracted him to Jesus was his power and authority. In part because this is something that the centurion understood. I mean, this was a part of his life. Power and authority is what he had. And he saw somebody in Jesus who has power and authority. And that's what attracted him to Jesus. And that's why he went to Jesus for help. Story number one. Story number two is very different. Because where the first story is about a wealthy centurion, the second story is about a widow who was poor and inconspicuous. The first story takes place in the city of Capernaum, which is a pretty prominent city in the region of Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. Here what we find is that Jesus traveled to the city of, or the town of Nain. Not exactly sure where Nain is. Most people believe it's in the southern region of Galilee. But really, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It was in the boonies. Like, you go to nowhere and hang a left, and that's where Nain is. And here in this story, Jesus, Jesus wasn't sought out to come and do something. It just kind of happened that he was in the right place at the right time. At least, that's the way that we read it. And it's there that he encounters this widow. And as we begin to put the pieces together of her life, we can develop some of maybe what her life was like. Likely from being from this little town called Nain, where nobody really wanted to live, it's likely that she was poor from the get-go. But the fact that she was a widow would indicate that now her source of support was gone, her source of security was gone, and now everything would have been dependent upon her one and only son. There's another difference, too. She's Jewish, whereas the Roman centurion was not. And so what we find is here is not the potential loss of a servant, though I'm sure that that was difficult, would have been difficult emotionally for the Roman centurion, but the reality was if he lost that servant, it wouldn't have changed his life significantly. It wouldn't have impacted his well-being at all, but now this woman has lost her only son. And so what that means is she has no one left to support her. No one is there to care for her. Don't worry about those lights. I don't, it's just a thing just indicates that it works when if the power were to go out. We would have more lights. So she has no one to care for her, no one to watch out for her, and now she is completely dependent upon others to help her and support her who were under no obligation to do so. And whereas that Roman centurion looked at Jesus and saw someone who had power and authority it's here Jesus who is moved by compassion and mercy. It says that he walked up on the town, large crowd following him. The disciples were there too. And at the gate of the city, they came across this funeral procession. The gate of the city is the most prominent place 
in a, a city or a town. It's where everything happened, and likely in this procession was basically the entire town was gathered because when someone died in order to pay your respect, what you did was mourn. That's the way you showed respect. And so in this funeral procession, Jesus sees this widow. And it says he was moved with compassion. We actually read that a couple of different places in Scripture. And it always means that Jesus did something as a result. So it was more than just he felt sorry for her or was empathetic toward her, but he was moved with compassion and he was going to do something about that situation. And so Jesus first addressed the widow, and he said, don't, don't weep, and he walked past her. And then it says he touched the buyer. Think of it like a coffin, but open, almost more like a, a, a table or a pallet, where they would have placed the body as they carried it out to bury it outside the city. And so Jesus said to this young man, get up, and immediately he got up, and began speaking. So it's an incredible story of Jesus being moved by compassion and mercy to help this widow. And so I think about her story. And what was it that really changed her life, right? It's not Jesus' power and authority, but it is his compassion and mercy. And she would have held on to that for the rest of her life. Two different stories. Two very different stories, but yet two stories of peoples whose lives had been touched by Jesus. And just like the stories that we read this morning, the story of the centurion and the story of the widow, you have a story too. And it's really easy for us to try to make sense out of our stories. We read other people's stories into ours as we try to maybe predict what's going to happen. But the reality is your story is your story and what God wants you to do is live it courageously. And I want you to know your story is unique. Your story is unique because we're all different. We have different personalities. We have different interests. We've been through different experiences. And because we are all unique, there's likely different things that attract us to Jesus. So when you think about Jesus, what is it that you see in Jesus's life that attracts you to him? As we saw here in this passage, that the centurion was attracted to Jesus because of his power and authority. We see the story of the widow who was touched by Jesus' compassion and mercy. And so I see those things, and I like those things about Jesus. But the thing that attracts me to Jesus more than anything else is his wisdom. I mean, I just, it's amazing to me that he was always able to say the right thing at the right time. And in the times where the religious leaders of his day would ask him all these questions to try to trick him into saying something wrong, he always knew the right thing to say. And I think to myself when I read those stories and those events, like, I want to be like that. But here's how it makes a difference to me. When I find myself in a challenging circumstance, I want his wisdom to guide my life. So some of you might be different, though. And that's okay. 
Maybe you recognize Jesus' power and authority. You also see Jesus' compassion and mercy. You even see Jesus' wisdom. But as you think about the greatest thing about Jesus, what you think about is his care and his love. And so it's those stories where Jesus is caring for people, maybe reaching out to people in the margins and the overlooked, or the way that Jesus cared for his friends and, and the miracles that he did for people. You think, man, that's, that's what I love about Jesus. And the way that makes a difference in your life is when you find yourself in a difficult circumstance, you know in those moments that Jesus cares for you. But again, maybe some of you are different than that. You, you recognize Jesus' power and authority, his compassion and mercy, his wisdom, his care and his love. But you're like, man, those are good. But that's not really what I love about Jesus because what I love about Jesus is his strength and courage. Maybe for some of you, the, 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 the greatest story that you know about Jesus is the one where he walked into the temple and overturned the money tables. So there they were. This is the week of Jesus' crucifixion. He walked in and he turned over the tables and he said, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And, and you love that story and you think to yourself, Man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I could be more courageous and strong like that. But what, the difference that it makes in your life is when you find yourself in a difficult position, you know that Jesus is strong for you. So your story is your story. And your story is unique, and there are going to be different things that attract us to Jesus, and that's fine. We're supposed to be that way because we're all different. And another uniqueness about our stories it might be the way that God deals with us, or the way that God leads us and guides us. So often, I think we get stuck thinking, well, there's just one way that God relates to us, and that's not true. He deals with us according to our uniquenesses. Author and pastor Larry Osborne talks about this in one of his books. And he uses his own family as an illustration. So he grew up with a couple of brothers. And he and his brothers were different. And he talks about how his dad related to them uniquely according to who they were and their interests. So it wasn't his dad saying, listen, sons, this is the only way that I'm going to spend time with you. He didn't do that. So it was athletics with one brother. With another brother, it was working on cars and, and, and just different things. And so he, he talks about how his dad related to his brothers according to their uniqueness and who they were. And he says, if my dad can figure that out, doesn't God do the same thing for us? And so there are some of you who are very emotional and God meets you in your emotions and guides you that way. There are some of us who are not that way, that we are like me, very logical. And so I think that God leads me in that way, a very logical way. There are some of you that connect with God in worship and especially surrounding music. And that's great. Not everybody connects with God that way. For some, it may be the depth of the study of the word of God. That's really where you encounter God. Maybe some of you are out in nature, maybe others in the early morning in isolation, maybe some with groups or maybe by yourself. But see, we are all unique and our stories are unique and God deals with us according to who he's made us to be. And that's okay. We don't need to read other people's stories into our stories. So your story is unique. Second thing I want you to know is your story is important. If I were to ask you to respond to this question, which I'm not going to do, but I want you to think about how you would respond to this. Out of the two stories that we read, the story of the centurion and the story of the widow, which story is more important and why? 
See, it could be argued that the story of the centurion is more important than the story of the widow because he was a wealthy person, a prominent person. And so maybe his story would have a greater impact because he was an important, prominent person. Maybe it could be argued that his story was more important because he wasn't Jewish, and so this shows that Jesus cared for all people. On the other hand, maybe somebody would say, well, I think the story of the widow is more important because she wasn't a prominent, wealthy person. She was poor. She was one that would easily be overlooked. And the reality is in the world, there are a lot more unimportant people than there are important people. So more people can relate to her story. So that's why it's more important. And I'm sure some of you are tracking with me. It's not about which one is more important because both are important. And you have a story too. And regardless of what your life story is, your story is important. It's important because Jesus has reached down into your life. And maybe you're here today and you haven't taken that step across that line of faith. And I want you to know God is doing something in your life too. He's writing a story in your life. And he's reaching into your life even now, writing a story in your life that is really important. And so regardless of the circumstances that led you to faith in Christ, if you have a dramatic conversion story where you would describe yourself as being the worst of the worst before coming to faith in Christ, or if you are a compliant person who did everything you could possibly to never get yourself in trouble, the reality is your story is important because somewhere along the line, God reached into your life, opened your eyes to your need for Jesus, and you said yes to him, and that's why your story is important. So often we begin to compare our story with other people, and it's like, well, man, that person's story is more profound than mine is, or that one's more important than mine is, but I don't want you to think that way because your story is important because it is your story. Your story is unique, your story is important, and your story has purpose. Like we've said every week of this series, when you come to faith in Christ, we are called to be courageous. And that includes a lot of different things. It takes courage to surrender control of our lives and give over control of our lives to Jesus in everything. It takes some courage sometimes to open up our hearts to let God begin to do a work in us because he touches some of those sensitive areas sometimes. And, and so to deal with those things can be hard. It takes courage. We have to courageously, we're called to courageously serve others using the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. And then we're called to courageously point people back to Jesus. We can do that by sharing our stories. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. The reason for the hope that is in us is what God has done for us and in us. And I truly believe that the greatest tool that we have to point people back to Jesus is simply sharing our stories, sharing the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Your story has purpose. God can take your story and use your story to change someone else's story. And I know as we try to make sense out of life, we can often read other people's stories into our story. Their experience we think should be our experience. But listen, the reality is we're all different. Our stories are unique. 
And regardless of what your story is like, how significant it is, or maybe insignificant it is, depending on how you feel about it, your story is important. And your story is, it has purpose. And so again, let me leave you with this. Your story is your story. So live it courageously. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we finish up this morning, I'm so thankful for the work that you've done in us. That for each of us, as we think back over the circumstances of our lives, Father, for many of us who are in this room and many who are watching, you reach down into our hearts, open our eyes to our need for Jesus, and caused us to say yes to you. Father, I pray that you would help us to live the story that you are writing in our lives courageously. Recognizing the uniqueness of our stories, the importance and the purpose that you've given to each and every one of us. And Father, if there is someone here who hasn't taken that step across that line of faith, may they understand that you are writing a story in their hearts right now. Drawing them to yourself. And you want to touch their lives just like you touched the life of the centurion and the widow. So Father, through the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us insight into what you're doing in our lives. And Father, help us to courageously follow you in everything. And we ask all these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.